Welcome back to the Six Overtimes program. I wanted to say program, Scott, because Dan Patrick says it and it sounds really cool. There it is. Uh, yeah, so what's going on, my man? We are talking Big East Hoops, as always, at the Six Overtimes podcast. It is Monday, December 5th. A great slate of games over the last several days, and I'm going to talk to Scott Wildermuth today about all that action. Yeah, we had a really nice uh, couple of days of Big East basketball highlighted by Georgetown beating Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, Louisville beating Vanderbilt, Syracuse beating Florida, Marquette beating Wisconsin, and those are the positives, and I guess the only negative is uh, your boy Trey Woodall getting hurt. Yeah, it's uh, they, they pulled out the victory, they avenged that, that uh, loss to Tennessee last year, but it's going to be tough uh being without him, but I think he will be back just in time for when they when they start Big East play, Scott. Yeah, I think so, and and early indications are that he'll be out for four weeks, so maybe he'll miss a game or two, but hopefully it's not too uh, too bad for the Panthers. Yeah, and what was, uh, I wanted to bring up one thing before we get into the uh, really, the dissection of the games was, you know, Jimmy V week, uh, you see it all across ESPN, played on the radio a bunch here in New York, and it's the the speech, the actual speech that uh, it's it's all across the airwaves, and and it's awesome. I can't get enough of it. It's it's something really special. I I think I've come to appreciate it more and more every year, and I might even uh, you know I might even try and go to the games tomorrow night, the Tuesday night, Marquette and Villanova, two Big East teams are playing, and just a great great job by the his foundation, uh, the people that do that the awareness and and getting the message out there and then espn uh their partner they do they really do just a tremendous job yeah it's a great event and and you know it's great to see that espn has it all week they play it all the time and and it's you know you can just tell that jimmy valvano was not only a great coach but also a great human being and that's something that you like to see out of any coach and any player and that's how you start rooting for people you know Mm -hmm. you don't root for how they're playing you're rooting for people yep and uh yeah that's a nice segue scott into you are rooting uh you've been rooting hard for these these georgetown hoyas this year yeah and for, for for good reason yeah you know they just continue to make make plays and and win ball games and over the or i guess this was on thursday night uh, Georgetown beat Alabama 57-55 in the Crimson Tide's backyard. And, you know, if for those who aren't that uh, that familiar with Alabama, they're number 12 in the country. They have, they're they a great defensive team, and they have a couple of scorers that can get the job done. And Georgetown went in, and Hollis Thompson drilled a three-pointer with, like, 1.3 seconds left in the game after getting a handoff from Jason Clark and drilled it and and took the game and the crowd was really into it before then because Alabama had just taken the lead after being down by nine points with three minutes left and it just took the air out of the building it was pretty cool to watch yeah Georgetown dominated this game and I I was Scott their defense was was awesome I think what they only gave up 16 points in the first half yeah, I think it was 18, but regardless, okay, it's, yeah. it's not a lot of points at all, and you love to see that coming out of the uh, out of the backcourt and making sure that they're shutting those folks down. 
Yeah, and it looks like, like you said, it was a, it was a, a raucous crowd. They they were getting into it when when the Crimson Tide staged that comeback, and Alabama had uh, they had a nice winning streak going at home. So it's nice to see the Hoyas go in there on the road. Pretty young ball club for for a Georgetown team, and, and see them come out with the victory. Yeah, and it's all about this consistency for all these guys on the Georgetown squad, be it Hollis Thompson, Jason Clark, and Henry Sims. They're leading the team day in and day out, and they're going into uh, really vicious crowds and vicious, uh, I guess, opportunities to make make great wins, and, and they have been doing so in the early going. Yeah, talking those those um, kind of horses for this club, do you see any – Weakness, like you know, especially Jason Clark and Hollis Thompson, are there players or styles or types of defenses that they're going to go up against that they actually will indeed struggle, and you know we might not see this type of play from them. Well, I think that the problem with these guys is they settle for a jump shot a lot, but when they're yeah. when they're making shots and they're on, they're going to be really hard to defend, regardless what kind of defense they're looking at. Yeah, they're uh, you know the jump shot's great when you're hitting um, because it brings the defense out. But yeah, they're they're gonna have some off nights uh, uh, here and there. Yeah, but that Hollis Thompson three point shot at the buzzer just shows you that you got to have confidence. And JT three's got confidence. It was a one hell of a win for that Hoyas squad, baby. Yeah, and another another really close game and a big win for a Big East team in this uh, this SEC challenge was. Louisville went in a uh, thriller against against Vandy, sixty-two to sixty, and our boy. This why it was a thriller was Peyton Siva uh, shedding that injury, that ankle injury that he had, and showed some great quickness and acceleration. To uh, did he he basically took it the length of the court and and just made a big bucket to uh, to win by two over the, uh, over Vandy. Yeah, he blew by the Commodores' defense and just got to the hoop, got that layup, and got the W. And, you know, you love to see that from the Cardinals, especially early in the season against a great opponent in Vanderbilt. And, you know, they took it to him. And they actually had a chance to win in regulation when Shane Behannon, got that guy's name right for the first time. There it is. Uh, had an open layup, and he just missed it. And... After the game, he was he said that he cried yeah. after he missed the shot, and said Patino got up in his face. Oh, he got in his face. Yeah, it's it's good to see that the kid is uh, he loves it. I mean, it, it means that much to him. But you know, he's a big boy. He signed up for this. He knew he was be, uh, playing Big East basketball and playing against Vanderbilt type competition, SEC type competition. So it's good to see. Uh, you know, definitely to cliche it, it's, it was definitely a teachable moment for uh, for the young freshman. I love the cliche. That's great. Yeah. And you know what? If anyone can uh, is well equipped to be that teacher, it's Rick Pitino, and you know that he's he's done a fantastic job in the past, and he'll do a fantastic job now. And you know, he he talked to him right after the play happened got it over with and hopefully Bahannon has a uh, short-term memory and just can get out there every other game from here on out and and get those layups and put them in the bucket yeah is, is Peyton Siva one of those guys where he doesn't put up crazy numbers like a Jeremy Lamb or uh, other guys from years past 
But he's that guy. He hits more big buckets, and it might be related to a, a quarterback with his fourth quarter comebacks and now uh, the Tebow. <laughs> is, is Peyton Siva that guy that just has that killer instinct where when it's you know he's good for he, he's he's um, he's fine for thirty eight minutes, thirty seven minutes, whatever you want to call it. Those last two or three minutes, the dude just really comes to play, and that's where he uh, that's where he thrives. Well, I think where he falls short is that it's hard to make his last name into a verb. I mean, you can't really say you're sieving, you know. Sieving, uh, you know, that would be good. We, we'll have to change it in some way. Yeah, but I think Siva just has the uh, confidence of his teammates, and he does make plays at the last second. And, you know, they look for him for inspiration and making sure that he makes big buckets. You know, Bahannon, who's known this guy for four months, he said... After the, uh, the post game, he said, "I always count on him to make big plays. Big time players make big time plays, and that's what he, what he was tonight. And you know that's pretty honest, and that's pretty straight to the point. He made the bucket when the game was on the line, and he got the W for him." Yeah, that's uh, talking about cliches. We we've we've heard that line uh, several times. Yeah, but it that one really never gets old because it's uh, that's what makes sports so exciting. Those big shots at the end of the game. Um, another big stage we're talking was the Syracuse Florida game on Friday night, the Carrier Dome big stage for several reasons right now with the Bernie fine situation going on and, uh, you know, tough for obviously the victims and everything going on for, you know, Syracuse as, as a whole in a university in that community, but the actual basketball that was being played on the court, really, really exciting game. I mean, you can't find Scott two teams that are, are really more athletic than uh, than this. This other than I know Kentucky and UNC were playing this weekend, but for the Big East SEC Challenge, especially the guards in the backcourt, these guys are just just athletes. Yeah, it was impressive to watch these guys, and uh, Chaz and Chaz and I actually got a chance to hang out up in Manhattan and watch this game at the Blind Pig. Uh, I guess it's in the. East Village over by your place, and it was just a, it was a show. Uh, Florida can really shoot the ball, shoot the lights out, but the senior leaders and the and the experienced players on this Syracuse Orange team really just took it to them and made sure that the Orange was going to come away with a win. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Scott. And we keep talking about Dion Waiters and James Sutherland and these other guys that are emerging and are they maybe threatening Scoop Jardine? Are they threatening Brandon Trish's role on the team? But those were against Eastern Michigan. Those were against Colgate. Those were against some of these other teams. But when Syracuse is playing a big ball club, a Florida, say UConn later in the year or say in March, that's when the Scoop Jardine, the Brandon Trish, and the Chris Joseph come to play. And Scoop especially, he had 12 of his 16 in the second half, dished out seven assists, and and everyone was waiting for him to have that game where he distributes and gets the ball around. As he did last year, he was the Big East assist leader. He did that in this game, and he also was very active on the defensive end. He had four assists, and that's what you know, Jim Beheim knows that he can he can count on on scoop in in these types of games yeah he's sort of like a siva character where he can disappear during games and then he'll just show up and he he basically pulled the game out for uh the orange this year 
Um, you know, but the most impo- important question for me actually is, you know, you just moved out into the East Village. How, how do you uh, like the Blind Pig? Is that a place you're going to keep going back to? It was good. I thought there would be more Syracuse fans there, and that would be more Big East-ish. I thought that we'd have a Big East flavor there, but if you remember, we saw some Vandy fans there. Yeah. Yep, and, definitely. And, uh, you know, the Six Overtimes podcast, I don't want to be going to, to sports bars where it's, you know, outside of Six Overtimes uh, type, type territory. Um, but it was a good spot. Beers were tasty. Uh, nice, nice TV setup. Um, the grilled cheese was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, uh, pretty hearty. I think I, will, <laughs> I think I will be going back for grilled cheese. I can't say I'm going to be going there to watch Biggie's tubes, but uh, overall, a, a pretty good spot. What do you think? Well, any place that has 16 ounce cans of PBR is a uh, thumbs up in my book. So there, there I, we go. I would be good to go back there. Touche. Um, so. I guess we said in the open that there are four big games, and we've covered three so far. The fourth being that Marquette went into Wisconsin uh, in their in-state rival and beat them 61-54. This game actually wasn't even uh, that close, where Marquette led the entire game, and I believe Wisconsin cut the game to three on the la- like in the last couple of minutes. But before that, it was it was pretty much a seven, eight, nine point lead for most of the game. Yeah, and how about this? And, and we talked about contrasting styles. Wisconsin. This was before, I believe, um, after right around the North Carolina game. But Wisconsin plays the slowest form of basketball in Division One. I, I think. 50-some, in the low 50s, possession-wise. And we've talked about Marquette, how they just get up and go. They run and gun. They run and gun, and Marquette, they it, it was whoever won this game was going to control the tempo, and nice to see that one of our biggest clubs uh, was able to do that. Yeah, and they, you know what they did is they really gutted this one out, and Junior Cadugan got suspended for this game due to uh, violating team rules. So they were out there, were without their starting point guard. I want to know what he did. Ugh, you know, we've what? speculated on this whole "quote unquote" violating team rules for a long time now, and yeah, it's just something goofy. He probably just got caught smoking weed, and they had to punish him somehow. You keep going to that. I don't. It, I think it's something else. What? It, what would it be then? Where? Where are you going? Something with practice was was late. Man, we uh, talking about practice. I, we don't know. I, but I, I'm saying, why why keep speculating? Uh, I, I think it's somewhere out there out there on Twitter. Some somebody a student knows on campus what he did, or so I, I swear that's out there in a tweet, and we just need to find it. All right, so I'm taking the Michael Phelps angle, and you're taking the Allen Iverson angle. I I, <laughs> I, I respect that. Exactly. All right. We'll be, we'll be talking about Speedos later in the program. <laughs> I'm sure we will be. Um, yeah, but basically this is a great win for Marquette, and this yeah. is really putting them on the map because they didn't really beat m- many people before this. Um, this is, It's a great Wisconsin team that always guts out these 54-47 wins in, the big, in Big Ten play, but 
you know, Marquette took it to them and really played their style and was able to get uh, get a couple buckets, get get a lot of them actually, and uh, you know, held in check Jordan Taylor, who's one of the uh, Player of the Year candidates in all of college basketball for Wisconsin, and you know, they they pulled it out, they won. Yeah, does this show UNC uh, beat them? Uh, you know, by a, a small margin as well, just like Marquette did. Does this show that Marquette is basically up there with the the top programs, and they can they can compete and duke it out with the UNCs, the Kentuckys, the uh, Ohio States of of the world? Certainly, this has got to be a step in the in that direction. Um, I tend to think that Wisconsin isn't as as talented as those teams that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. but Marquette can continue climbing that as they play in Big East play and they take Syracuse to the wall or they beat Connecticut or what have you. So as long as they continue to keep winning games, they'll start to be considered up there. Yeah, and uh, good win for Marquette. And that kind of wraps up. Those were the premier games that we saw. And in, in to round out and further along the Big East SEC Challenge, uh, my Pitt Panthers, they went down to Knoxville. They knocked off uh, the Tennessee Vols. It was a good win for Pitt. Any road win is good, and especially good to avenge that loss that Pitt had at home to Tennessee last year when Scotty Hobson just was shooting bananas, shot 60 or 70% from the field. Tennessee has is not as good as last year. I don't believe Pitt is as good as last year. Uh, but the big thing, the storyline with this was something that didn't play, take place in the game, Scott. It was Trey Woodall being out for almost a month, as we spoke of earlier, because of a uh, uh, strained groin and some, something with his abs as well. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be a tough one for these guys to uh, swallow here because I believe their best their depth really lies within their front court. So replacing Trey Woodall is going to be very difficult looking forward for the Panthers. Yeah, it's going to be tough without him. And you saw another... St- Jamie Dixon has had to go to many uh, different starting lineups. And even in this game, you saw Cameron Wright and Kem Birch start. And it almost feels like the Steelers win. For any Steelers fan knows, their offensive line, they've, they've had so many injuries over the years. And it just seems like the last few years, especially this year, they've had to have so many different starting lineups. And that's what it feels like with this pit team. And the fact that Cameron Wright is starting for Pitt is not a good sign because, Scott, this guy has one of the most hideous shots I've ever seen for a Big East player. Yeah, I mean, to for con- a guard. I mean, he's not a big man. You know, those those big men have goofy free throw uh, shots, but this guy this guy's a, a guard and should have something. Yeah, he's no Anthony Mason at the free throw line there, but let's hope he's a little bit better than uh, Max Starks to continue your... Uh, yeah. Pittsburgh Steeler offensive line uh, right. comparison there. Uh, but it's it's going to be difficult, and I, I you know, we're going to have to have some guys that are taking the pressure off of Ashton Gibbs in order for uh, these guys to win and continue to win. And maybe that's the front court stepping up and getting a lot of easier buckets, or maybe it's Ken Birch getting, getting involved in the offense a little bit more than – uh, Jamie Dixon would like this early in his in his career. Perhaps it is Ken Birch. 
Perhaps it is. Yep. <laughs> so, I guess uh, we... Well, one last thing, the pick game. Tennessee sure. had this uh, little guard come in the game. Small white boy. I, I don't remember his name, but this... I don't know if he was... It was a complete joke, but he had this floppy hair. It was... Uh, flopping around all over the court and he had a tremendous stash and i i couldn't take the guy seriously i don't know if this is uh this is his real look or he he lost a bet or or something happened but uh he he definitely uh he definitely caught my attention in this game it's got to be the uh remnants of movember where everyone was growing out their little mustaches for uh for the sake of growing out a mustache could be he's still letting it letting it flow definitely um so another uh another team that uh is is we i said i don't think Pitt is as good as last year scott how about those notre dame fighting Irish? certainly yeah uh, i i don't see them finishing second uh in the big east this year do you uh wow no no i don't think they're even in the uh in the realm of conversation in the top 10 this year yeah, they lost to uh, – so we last recorded on Wednesday morning. So since then, Notre Dame went out on Wednesday night in a late game, went out to Spokane, Washington, got manhandled by Gonzaga, lost 73-53. to And they were even down 20 points in the first half, and the, the game was over at halftime. Then just yesterday on Sunday, uh, they brought it back to respectability against not a very respectable team in Maryland – they lost seventy four to seventy one, and this this quote that I saw from Mike Bray after the game, Scott, really summed it up for me. He said, "I'm ha- I'm I'm proud, or I'm um, you know, happy with my team. How we competed for all forty minutes tonight." Yeah, and, and the fact that he said that against Maryland, who you you told me earlier, isn't Maryland not that good? And I said, yes, that is is definitely the case this year. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, it's a weird spot that Mike Bray is in, and that all Fighting Irish fans are in right now because they're used to having a great team, and it's just not going to be the case this season. They're going to have a real hard time scoring the basketball. I'm honestly surprised that they were able to put up something in the seventies against Maryland. Uh, they just. I think they just struggled to get score the basketball, and that's where their biggest problem is going to be uh, all season. Yeah, because they would always—they've never been a defensive stalwart team. They always, you know, that's just a Mike Bray style. He predicates it on scoring a lot of points as well to offset that, but that's not going to be the case this year. He—he—he he, he doesn't have that—that that balance. What what really. Uh, frustrates me or or what what would frustrate an irish fan even more is the play of scott martin captain of this ball club i think he's either a fifth or sixth year um so he's he's got experience he only put up two points against gonzaga he put up seven points against maryland and i don't know if he was relying so much on i keep saying it in all these podcasts he needed timmy abramitis to be on the court this year for him to succeed and for him to play the game that he's used to, he he can't. We know that he can't be the number one guy, and 
I think he's he's better suited when there's a a Ben Hansborough, a Tim Abramitis, and a Herring Goatee from other years where those guys draw all the attention, Scott, and he's there for a nice mid-range jumper to hit down when uh, when those other guys are being double teamed. Yeah, that's the funny thing about having excellent players around you. They make everyone else look <laughs> a little bit better. It helps. Um, but, you know, watching Scott Martin trying to get his own shot is just its ugly as hell. Uh, he has a very slow first step. He can't get around the defenders. Watching the Gonzaga game, I was blown away by the lack of athleticism that Notre Dame has, where Jerry and Grant was probably the only guy who uh, was the better athlete in their matchups, and he was playing against uh, John Stockton's kid. So I, I don't know. I mean, they're going to have a hard time scoring points. They can't create their own shot. They don't have one of those big guys to get the ball in the basket when they need a bucket. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be ugly. Yeah, and and Gonzaga's good, but they're not the uh, freak athletes. Yeah, they're just huge down low between Elias Harris and Robert Sacre. I mean, those guys are those guys are NBA talent. So mm-hmm. it, it, talking you're talking NBA talent. The next game. Yeah, Whew. I think I think there's some NBA uh, players in there. Yeah, I think Jeremy Lamb might have a have a career ahead of him. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> of course we're talking about the Connecticut Huskies, and they took out Arkansas seventy five sixty two on Saturday. Um, basically, Ryan Boatwright is the man, and he goes off for twenty four points, I think twenty three points uh, mm-hmm. on eight of twelve shooting, and really just made sure that Calhoun knows who he is after he was suspended for the first six games because of taking a airline ticket from some coach uh, during his AAU game uh, last season. Yeah, and, and everyone was talking about Andre Drummond being the, the stud freshman in these these first few games, Scott, of, of seeing Ryan Boatwright. I got to say, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm probably more impressed with him in this 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 early get go than than I am with uh, Big Drummond. Well, it's hard not to be. I mean, he's been the star of the game for the first two that he's played, mm-hmm. um, and they really just there's not really too much to say about this game ex- except the fact that Connecticut really led the entire way by at least seven points from the ten minute mark in the first half all the way, all the way through in the through the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing to comment on is that Arkansas continued the trend of uh, forcing Connecticut into creating turnovers, and Connecticut had 15 for the game. Yeah, and that's probably a little bit of um, uh, I'm blanking on Arkansas's coach, the new guy uh, coming yeah, over from sure. Missouri. That you know his defense and in his style of play and what he tries to instill, it's it's they try and create a lot of turnovers. But yeah, it's it's it, we're seeing a little too much from from UConn in in the in the early uh, early go here. Yeah, certainly. And uh, I want I want to hear your take on this, but I think we should nickname Ryan Boatwright, and I think we should nickname him Wayne's World. What do you think? I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't even know why you need to uh, run it by me. All I right. think you just I think you just start calling him that, and uh, I just I roll with it as well. All right, so. <laughs> I guess we'll move on and, and we'll call him Wayne's World. But when he's in when he when he's in the game, man, and they got those three guards, they're going to be real hard to compete with, and it's going to be 
it's going to take a hell of a team to really make sure that they can match up athletically and you know they have a lot of uh poise and they they can shoot the basketball very well also so it's not mm-hmm. just about athleticism it's about their polish and uh ability yeah, to just to outscore everyone it's using that, that using that athleticism and you know actually executing you know talking about in an alliterative uh nickname or an alliterated name is god's gift and oh, yeah. the uh the St. John's uh Red Storm they had a tough go at it. Uh, we've all talked about their talented freshmen and the young ball club and how it's going to be so good in the coming years. Well, they played Kentucky uh, down in Lexington, Coach Cal's young ball club. Johnny's went down 81-59, to and Kentucky, those freshmen are good right now. Not next year, because next year they're going to be in the NBA, but these guys' immediate... Um, you know, immediate gratification uh, for those big blue nation. Yep. And you saw that this team is uh, is overmatched. Uh, one, especially on depth, they, you know, Nerdy Lindsay continues to get into foul trouble. And for a guard, that's 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 really troubling to me. I can see in the post, you know, those those big men with their their bodies. They still don't have full control over them. They're still um, you know, learning their footwork and everything. But Nerdy and Lindsay getting into foul trouble is troubling, and that that exposes their lack of depth. And then the biggest thing that we saw on the saw on the stat sheet, Scott, is their lack of size. And uh, you know, Mo Harkless is good, but he's not a beast down low. Nope. Ken- Kentucky had 18 blocks in this game. That is an absurd amount of swats by by one team. Yeah, that's a hell of a number. And, uh, you know, Anthony Davis, who's one of those freshmen that you were talking about, he's just a monster down low. <laughs> Eight blocks by Anthony Davis? It's just ridiculous. It truly is ridiculous. I mean, we we, we, we passed Terrence Jones at four blocks, and it's just like, oh, ho-hum. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yep. But what, but what you do like saying is that God's gift did have 10 rebounds. And, you know, he sort of came back to life a little bit after he had the three or four game stretch where he just wasn't involved in anything. So if yeah, there is nice one positive takeaway, it is that God's gift is back. Uh, like you said, Nordine Lindsay really struggled. He had fi- he fouled out of the game in 20 minutes and had five turnovers to boot. So bad game yeah, but, for him and and tough game overall for the Johnnies. Yeah, Nerdine Lindsay had a, a 5 5 and 1 stat line. <laughs> 5 turn <laughs> 5 turnovers or 5 fouls and 1 point. Not not the uh not the line that you, that you want. Yeah, not the line and you want the line that Anthony Davis had with those 8 swats and you know who had almost 8 swats was uh Oh yeah. My man Bilal Dixon for the Providence Friars on uh on Wednesday night, I believe it was uh, Thursday night. I'm sorry, yep. where they where Providence beat South Carolina in South Carolina, seventy six sixty seven. Yeah, uh, great great win for the Friars going on the road. Yeah, it really was, and they controlled the game for most of the game, and it, it was it was awesome to watch their guards. They were just very impressive, cutting to the rim, not settling for jump shots, getting layups, and getting easy points. Um, you know, Dino Gaudio, my man, 
was doing the uh, doing the play-by-play, and he was talking about how South Carolina tried to press Providence, yep. and their guards were just able to beat the press, and they were able to get to the basket early in the shot clock, and that's how they won the game. They were doing a one-two-two press. Is that what South Carolina was was throwing at them? That's what Providence was throwing oh, at South Carolina. But Providence, and that's you know that's what Cooley wanted. He that allowed him to slow the game down. Yeah, exactly. And it's just you know the very least, it's taking ten seconds off the shot clock before the team can get into the off into their offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and how how good is? You know, I think as we said, their their strength, Providence, and we saw it in this game especially, is their backcourt. How how good is, you know, the the three C's, Council, Coleman, and Cotton? Uh, can those guys go with the Trishas, the Jardines, and the Waiters of the and the Napiers and Lambs of 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 the conference? I mean, you just named the almost the five best players in the Big East. So I, hey, I don't know. I if- mean, if if they want to. Get it back to Providence, you know what they were before. It's they've got to get the, you know, get to that level. They're three very good guards. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. I won't go so far to say is that they're going to compete with Jeremy Lamb and Shabazz Napier. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's fair for the Friar backcourt. But that's, that's foolish. I, I think that if they continue to get to the rim and not settle for jumpers and and get free throws, I think. I think Coleman had 11 free throws attempted, or 13, excuse me. Um, you know, that's just a great thing to see, and, and they were getting to the getting layups and getting easy ways to get points. And um, Beyond that, though, Bilal Dixon, who's their forward, I think is going to be a key for them all year mm-hmm. in the fact that he's their only big man who can score, and he's a very active big man who can block shots and contest them. Yeah, he he had a good game, and, it, and he's going to be an integral part. But when when you have to make that statement, uh, that's it's going to be tough for the Friars as as the season goes along. When when they have that thin of a of a interior um, presence down low, certainly. And you know who else has a real real thin interior defense is uh, University of South Florida. Yeah, and we saw that because they were going up against the the monster down low was uh, Thomas Robinson. That He's guy, played so well this season. That guy hits the glass like you wouldn't believe. We saw it in the Georgetown-Kansas game out in Maui. And early on, I, I didn't watch the entire game because the second half was a blowout. But I did watch the first half, and that guy crashes crashes the, the, the glass like, like you wouldn't believe. Um this this game USF uh, the Bulls lost seventy to forty two to Kansas. This game was in Lawrence. I I don't think anyone expected them to go in and win. You would I would have liked and and Scott I think we would have liked that they would have uh, played them closer. Um, forty two points is is appalling to be putting up. Yeah. I want to say they put up they scored up in the forties against VCU as well. And it's the same. It, it's the theme is they're having struggle. They're having difficulty scoring. Also, what is really troubling is the second half is it's falling off a cliff. They compete with these teams in the first half. They stay with them and see you later. 
you know, where where they fall asleep for the last twenty minutes. Yeah, you know, in the VCU game, which is the one that I I watched, uh, it seemed like they just got tired and the guards just got lazy with the basketball mm-hmm. and turned the ball over a lot. And it seems like that was the narrative in this story as well. Yeah, and uh, it, it's that you you talk about that laziness and lack of discipline, however you want to characterize it. Stan Heath, you could see he really got on Torland Fitzpatrick at the end of the first half because the guy, he's one of their post players, and he's actually been starting because Augustus Gilchrist has, has been out. This was his first game returning, actually. But Torland Fitzpatrick, he's dribbling around trying to roll off some sort of post move, and he lets the shot clock expire. Had no freaking clue <laughs> what the shot clock was at, and and Stan Heath was trying to tell him you have to have more clock and court awareness, and you saw it again as the first half was ending. Scott, uh, one of the, Hugh Robertson, one of the bench guys for South Florida, got the ball. He was wide open. Everyone else on the court was back on the other side of the court. He had it. He was going to go in. You know, he could have laid it in and got two more points for South Florida to end the half. He goes in, tries to be a showboat, goes in for the dunk, and there was, um, you know, the the clock said point zero. And if he just would have laid it in and, and made a smart play, they could have gotten uh, another bucket there. Yeah, and that actually brings up another point where they're sort of showboating where they haven't earned the right to showboat yet. Mm-hmm. In that VCU game, Victor Rudd made the first three of the game, and he was showing up uh, VCU guys by pointing to the fans and just sort of like being really arrogant about him making a three. And it's just, to, I, I don't know what, I, what are they doing here? The coach needs to beat the hell out of these guys and just run them in practice. And I, they need to get refocused. Yeah, that, you, three-pointers is what you're supposed to do. If you're a guard, you hit outside shots, just like these NFL players you're paid your boy Stevie Johnson the Bills. You're supposed to score touchdowns. Like you're paid to do that. Why is it why do you have to go out of your way to show that you you're doing your job? Why you got to bring the Bills into this? Come on, that hurts. It has to. I mean, it's <laughs> it's that time of year. Oh god. They look terrible. But <laughs> moving on from a team that looks terrible in the NFL to uh Yancey Gates who looks equally as terrible as the Bills do. He goes for five points and eight rebounds in the SEC cha- or, uh, Big East battle with uh, Georgia, where they end up winning 57-51. to But where is this guy, Yancey Gates, that you know, we've seen so much out of in the past? We heard so much about him coming into the year. And he just really is on... He, he's, I gotta check his pulse. I don't know if he's still breathing. Yeah, it's a rhetorical question these days. We keep, we keep asking, and last time I checked, Scott, George's big men weren't anything special. No, certainly not. And, and there's really just no, no excuse for Gates having five points. He only took eight <laughs> shots. He was yeah. third on the team in shots, and, you know, Kashmir Wright had six. So he wasn't even that far off from not being in the top three. Why isn't he get demanding the ball down low? Why isn't he getting to the basket? I just, it yeah, befuddles dude. me. I'm befuddled. 
you are befuddled. I can I can hear it in your voice. Kilpatrick seems like he's emerging as the as the we you are you're always looking for the guy on a mm. team and you wanted it to be Yancey Gates or that's what everyone was telling you in the media and all the coaches and everyone in the in the preseason that Yancey Gates is the guy. It doesn't look like he is. Mr. Kilpatrick, he just he might be the guy for Cincinnati as as the season where goes along. Yeah, I think that that's really where it's where it's landed and what's actually happening. It's not theoretical anymore where you look at the sheet and you say, oh, I think Gates is going to have a nice season. We're past that. We're at Sean Kilpatrick is putting up points, mm-hmm. and Dixon is making buckets too, and Yancey Gates is just nowhere to be found. So I think those two guys are going to really lead the team, and Gates is just going to be an auxiliary player. At least that's what he's proven to be so far. That's that's a shame with his size. Yeah, it's great. really a shame. It, it and really how, is. And how about that juxtaposition, Scott? With Ooh, look at yeah, you. Look at that. I, I I don't know why I use that in conversation. Dropping scrabble words. I think juxtaposition should only be a written word. I don't think you should ever use it, uh, you know, or you know, actually said in conversation. But I <laughs> I just did, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, a guy that we, you know, Yancey Gates, we were holding out, and we're holding out, and we just want him to, to go. On the flip side, we got Seton Hall, and we got Herbie Pope, where I was holding out. I'm like, ah, I'm not sold on him. Ah, I'm not sold on him. You know what? Consider me a customer. Nice. I am a Herb Pope. Uh, I'm part of the bandwagon. Welcome to the dark side. It's not a dark. It's not the dark side at all. It's uh, <laughs> It seems like a fun... Uh, happy double-double uh, type club. Yeah, you know what? Herb Pope, the name just gives you, uh, it reminds me of like a Disney cartoon character who's just smiling all the time. So you know what? It isn't the dark side. It's it's the light side. Yeah, and uh, in this, we're, t- we're talking Seton Hall, Pirates beat Auburn, another SEC team. They beat him 81-59 to at the Rock. Um... Seton Hall, great game from everyone. Uh, Herb Pope, 23-12. and 12. That puts Scott up 1-0 on, on me in the bet of the century. Herb Pope versus Kevin Jones in double-doubles through the year. That's what I'm talking about. Patrick Uda, uh, another big man who Seton Hall is going to count on this year, had his best game probably in a Seton Hall uniform. He had a career-high 17 points. And it's nice to see, Scott, that he has moved past that that tough stretch he had in Charles, the Charleston Classic where he picked up that flagrant. Yep. And for for whatever reason, it affected him for <laughs> a lot longer than, than you would think. And uh, he, he's finally just, just playing like he should rather than having that hang over his head. I don't know why just a s- stupid flagrant foul would do that to someone. Yeah, and it's good to see him putting up points in the in the board. And the reason why is that it's given them a fourth person to really uh, go along with Mr. Fuquan, who's a who's a favorite over here, Herbie and Jordan Theodore, who had ten assists in this game. You know, between Auda or Uda or however you say it, and uh, Aaron Cosby, they they're going to need to combine for some points and. In this game, they combined for 30, and that's probably the reason why this game wasn't that close. Yeah. Um, it was uh, – that fourth scoring option is, is huge for any team. Uh, 
And JT, I was impressed with. He wasn't hitting it from the field. He played like a really true point guard. Dished out ten assists. Played good D. Only two turnovers. So he was he was a floor general rather than being a, a real scoring threat. Exactly, but we all know that you want to just talk about Speedo, so I'll let you uh, have this moment right now. I'll have the stage. Well, apparently, we didn't see much of this game, but from all the everything being said online, that the this Speedo arrangement and and uh, the show that some of the students put on at the Rock was was quite impressive. And I know it's been unusually warm in New York uh, the last the last week or so, <laughs> and. These guys probably just rolled up. You know, it was, it's golf weather, basically. And I, apparently it's speedo weather as well. So these these uh, very um, devoted Pirates fans rolled over in speedos. And, and I just want to ask you, Scott, what is the the best attire that you saw rocked out uh, down in down at Wake Forest for, for the student section? Well, uh, down at Wake, we, we were known to uh, rock the full tie and suit gear for football games. Um, okay. But at basketball games, you know, we didn't really have too many guys except for this one middle-aged, overweight guy who, during every TV timeout, would do a little dance to uh, jump around. Oh, and nice. That, wasn't, that was as scarring as several people in Speedos, so, you know. All right. Yeah. Well, you could, middle-aged, overweight guy, so, you know, the fat guy at the game was, was running around, right? Yeah, I was trying to do it nicely. Okay. <laughs> uh, something, talking about nicely, The um, uh, you know, another juxtaposition. There we go. Wow. Rutgers did uh, did not finish the game nicely against LSU. They they lost at home at the rack 55-50. to 50. Uh, they played great the entire game, Scott. They were up basically the entire game, and then the the last few minutes of the game, the freshman growing pains really came through. And what happened was they had, I want to say with about 35 or 45 seconds, they had a few possessions where Jerome Seegers on the second-to-last possession had a wide-open three from the corner, that he passed up and call it whatever you want. He didn't. He wasn't ready for that shot. He's not comfortable enough yet. He passed it up. Tried to do too much. They, they were called for a charging uh, charging violation. And then the next possession, the last one of the game that they would have, Eli Carter lost the basketball and they didn't even they didn't even get shots off. So it's one thing missing them, taking a poor shot. They didn't even they didn't even put up uh even give themselves a chance to to win this yeah it's almost like they're just waiting for tim abramitis to come out like notre dame has been doing you know it's, right. it's like they're they need some guy to be big shot bob uh, mm-hmm. you know robert Ory made his career on that kind of thing and he did they just need someone to step up and whether they make it or not it's extremely frustrating that your team can't even get a shot off, much less, you know, miss it. They, yeah, they didn't you, even participate. Yeah, Mike Rice was very vocal about that. Even though, of course, he, he was. He said the these freshmen, they are freshmen. Everybody knows that. They've played in so many big games, AAU, high school, state tournaments, you know, city league stuff. 
a game against LSU in, in, in December is, is not too big for them. And the reason I say that is because Anthony Hickey, who was the, the point guard for LSU, he's a freshman. He hit two huge buckets for LSU, and that's what won it for them. And that he was on the road in a, in a hostile, rocking, uh, rocking environment at, in, in Rutgers. So the stage wasn't too big for him. He said, he said give me the ball, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it up, whether it goes in or not. That's that's another story, but the the Rutgers guys wouldn't even take the take the shot, and I'm I won't even talk about Dane Miller. Well, I guess by t- bringing him up, I did, and it, it's crazy to think that he he wants to give it to. It's like oh freshman, you sh- you should be the ones taking the shot uh, in the in the closing minutes. It's just cra- it's craziness. Yeah, we've uh, we've already talked way too much about this Rutgers game, so let's uh, let's move on. Okay. Um, <laughs> so going from one uh, disappointing loss to a or not surprising a big, a big five game. Yeah, big five victory. Got uh, Villanova. Five. Villanova took out the University of Pennsylvania, seventy-three to sixty-five. Uh, this was played on Saturday, and we're not, we shouldn't spend too much time on this because Villanova is just a better team than Penn is, and. They just out-rebounded uh, Penn and sort of out-athleted him. And really, the only things to really draw on here is uh, Yaru went for 21-11, and 11 and he just continues his development into a premier big man in the Big East. Yeah, and, and Yaru, when his goal for the year was, I'm going to out-athlete every person that I can. <laughs> oh, yeah? That was, he- that was his deal? Yeah, he loves. He he knew that you uh, you called him out saying, well, you know, Yuru, when are you going to start out athleting people? And he's, he he rose to the challenge. Yeah, he's doing it this year. He's doing it. And uh, you know, the other thing to draw on too is that all five starters, uh, Dom Cheek, Hilliard, Waynes, Yuru, and James Bell, all had at least seven points. They're all contributing, good. and it's good to see that because Waynes didn't have a great game, even though he. Uh, Scored 11 points and got to the free throw line six times. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing from this is Villanova moves on to play Missouri, who's absolutely killing it. They move on to play them on Tuesday night. So, I think we're all looking forward to that to see, uh, especially the guard play that up tempo, uh, Wayans and, and Cheek go up against, uh, Damon or, yeah, I think that's what his name is. But it, they're, the backcourt's real quick for those that's guys. Go, that's going to be a, a great game in the garden. Certainly, certainly. Uh, one of the last few games, I think. So we have West Virginia DePaul left. Uh, in the West Virginia game, they lose to Mississippi State, seventy-five to sixty-two. And I want to bring up something really quick, Scott. This was down at the Hump in oh, okay. uh, in Starkville. Uh, it's it's the Humphrey Center Arena, and I, I like I like when the announcer called it the Hump. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm heading I'm heading over the Hump for the game. It's kind of <laughs> nice way to spend a Saturday. So we talked about West Virginia beating Akron last week. They beat him by 21 points. It was it was the game where Jabari Hines played amazing. Yep. They beat him handedly. No no doubt about it. Game was over after the first half. Mississippi State's ranked. They're a damn good ball club. Their their uh, sole loss this year was I think the first game of the year. They lost to Akron <laughs> at the Hump. Yeah. Now, we all remember the transitive property 
for math and back in the day. I mean, wouldn't you think that right away that West Virginia would just have this have this in in the bag that that you wouldn't even have to think about it? You would think it would have just been an automatic W, especially with uh, your man Kevin Jones. But it seemed like that wasn't the wasn't the case for this young West Virginia team that seems to uh, turn the ball over a little too much. I guess the transit of property is is compromised when uh, when Kevin Jones falls one rebound short of a double double. I think that's when the whole system goes out of whack. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, my uh, ninth grade geometry teacher would probably argue with that, but. Seems like it doesn't work. Yeah, and and um, you really saw, you know, even though Ke- I mean Kevin Jones is great and and Kalichka played well, Mississippi State, um, they have a really good <laughs> postman. This um, oh, what's his name? Moultrie had twenty one and thirteen, had a really good game. I think he's leading the SEC in rebounding. So while Jones and Kalichka are good when they're on the court. It, what we really saw was because Jones was in foul trouble, and he, he only played 25 minutes, Scott. Go, they have to go to Pat Forsyth, who's a, a tall, really lanky freshman who still really needs to add strength and everything. But the, these guys are so thin in the post, and they're going to struggle big time um, against— I can just see them going against a three-headed monster— uh, in Drummond, Olander, and Oraki, and, and I just see them getting— getting tossed around against a really any big uh, front court. Yeah, they're really going to struggle just because of the lack of depth. And, you know, honestly, I, I don't know how you can say that their uh, depth at guard is really something to be okay mm. with also because, to me, Aaron Brown and Gary Brown really haven't done a whole lot for me to really jump on their band, bandwagon also. Yeah, not as much... Uh bandwagon but it's it's they're quick enough the uh, i think they can they can hit a sh- hit a shot here and there truck brian jabari hines uh i'm i'm just i'm really worried in that when any kalich is going to get in he gets in foul trouble all the time and when he's in foul trouble i just have no confidence in Forsyth uh yet i think he'll be okay in the later years once he's an upperclassman right now it, I think it's going to—they're going to be really—it's uh, going to be really a struggle for West Virginia. Yeah, and you know I'm going to take this opportunity to transition into the DePaul game because the reason why they lost to Ole Miss in Chicago, uh, 70-68, was because their forward, who's a who's a sophomore forward, Cleveland Melvin, turned the ball over with five seconds or ten <laughs> seconds left and led to an open uh, cross country. Uh, breakaway layup to lose the game. What a crushing way to lose! And and wouldn't that would have been a huge win for for DePaul? Oh yeah, without question, they they should have won. Uh, Jeremiah Kelly had two free throws that he was taking at the end of the game, and he bricked both of them. So they had so it's like free you know free throws. That's what I mean. You need to do that to win, and you can't turn over the basketball. And and they did that in the last ten seconds. 10 seconds of a close game for forget about it i mean you're not going to close any opponent out yeah it's terrible and you know what they didn't really play very well all game but they had it in in their grips in their hands to take it and uh you know they 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 didn't close it out and it's it's bad to see that and another thing that i want to touch on too is that 
Cleveland Melvin shot four of eighteen from the field. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but turned the ball over to lose the game. He, if if I was picking a worst player of the game, I think he would probably be the guy. Yeah, really struggled from the field, but it seems like they're getting a little bit more contribution from from some other guys. And 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 who who does that appear to to be? Even you know when, when Melvin is not hitting that shot. Yeah, you know, it's looking like Brandon Young is really stepping into his own and, and out of the shadow of Cleveland Melvin. He had 18 points last night yeah. or uh, Saturday or Thursday, sorry. Um, and the other guy that I'm interested in seeing is Moses Morgan, who took 11 shots. He only made three of them, so he wasn't great from the field either. But, you know, he's have, he's got the confidence to shoot that many times, so... I think that we're going to have uh, three guys that are going to be contributing in double figures for most games this year. Yeah, you always want to see some uh, some balance at the guard play. And, and how do they? They're, this team's competing. They're not. They're not getting um, blown off the court. How do they rebound from such a tough loss, especially against a surprising uh, Milwaukee club that uh, is only a few days away? You're right, and and they play Milwaukee tonight on Monday. I'm sorry, tonight. And, yeah, and and Milwaukee's seven and one, and they're undefeated in the Horizon League play already at two and zero, um, and it's it's gonna give these guys an opportunity to play a quality opponent at home, and just to make sure that they can do the fundamentals. And if they can get a W, I think tonight. It will really go a long way in uh, their in building their confidence and making sure that they can uh, move forward and have a short term memory about this this disappointing loss to Ole Miss. That's crazy that they're already they've played two games in the Horizon League already. Yeah, I'm surprised at that what? too. It's I don't know what they're doing. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, uh, like we usually do for players of the weekend, I guess it's players of the last five days since we haven't been on since. Uh, November 30th, this is our first December podcast. P- players that excite us from a certain time frame. Exactly. Yeah, we'll rename the, the section <laughs> that. Um, but I'm going with Jason Clark and Hollis Thompson from Georgetown because without Clark's big-time uh, big contribution, I think he had 22 points against Alabama, and Hollis Thompson's last-second three-pointer, ice-in-his-veins type of shot to uh, get the victory, they wouldn't have won. And, you know, I think Georgetown continues to show that they're on the up and up and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in Big East play. So congratulations on the championship belt for those two guys. The belt. Uh, and another guard, talking about guards, uh, another guard that's going to receive the six overtimes championship belt is Mr. Scoop Jardine. Uh, big win for the Orange. Why I'm giving it to him is I didn't see much from him in the, the previous games this year. Uh, I don't think Beheim was asking much out of him because he was trying to get so many guys in the court and depth and rotation and experience and all this and that and all that good stuff. But Scoop Jardine hung with these really athletic guards from Florida, Scott, Put up, like I said, the numbers, 16 points, had a great second half, put up 12 points, was dishing the basketball. I really like some of those uh, passes he had to, to Fab Mello early in the game. Oh, yeah, it was great. For, for those uh, 
those monster jams that got the got the carrier dome going and that's that's huge when that place gets going compliments of scoop and and, and fab it's it's a tough uh tough place to play so good to see scoop back on track and destined and ready and primed for uh you know a good rest of the season so uh that's my player of our subjective time frame exactly and uh now that we're recording on Monday, December 5th, we have a couple of games that we're looking forward to tonight. Um, St. John's is taking on Detroit in Detroit on ESPN2 at 7 o'clock. Uh, Dickie V is getting the court dedicated to him, uh, so check that out. Then Brown is playing in Providence on ESPN3 at 7 o'clock in a rivalry game out there in Rhode Island. And Milwaukee is visiting DePaul, as we said earlier, which is... A game that I'm really interested in seeing how DePaul can uh, can come back from that loss. Yeah, the, in those crazy Rhode Islanders, it's such a bitter rival between Brown and Providence. I hear it's going to be crazy. So that's going to be going to be nuts. Yes, sir. So, uh, so, so then, uh, Scott, we it takes you to your lackluster thus far uh, betting. Um, well, you actually picked up a win. I did. I'm I happy did. for you. It's, uh, you know, I think I'm just going to start betting against Notre Dame for a while. Um, <laughs> no matter, no matter the line, even even if they're uh, heavy, heavy underdogs, just keep uh, keep betting against exactly. them. Exactly. Um, so tonight, I'm going to take Detroit plus one. I think they're going to win it for Dickie V. And uh, mm. I'm taking Providence. It's it's a high line against Brown. It's uh, giving twelve and a half, but I really liked what I saw out of them uh, the other week on Thursday. And, you know, if their guards continue to play like I think they, they can and have been against this uh, probably slower Brown team, I think they'll be able to uh, win this one handily. Yeah, the 3C machine. I'm, I'm, I'm psyched about these guys. Exactly. So hopefully they can pick up another big win. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that about wraps it up for the uh, December 5th um podcast for the six overtimes uh thanks again for stopping by and and checking us out um you can reach us on six overtimes.us you can email us uh, what you're thinking on six overtimes at gmail.com or tweet us live at six overtimes on twitter uh once again thanks a lot for stopping by see you peace